It's another day, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome back to Iowa's Newsworthy Past. The following episode includes items published in the Solon Economy in Solon, Iowa, on Thursday, June 23rd, 1904. Where is listener? Gun, clothing, and grip found, and owner is missing. Foul play suspected. A discovery was made last Saturday, which may prove a clue to a fatality, either accidental, suicidal, or possibly involving foul play. A fishing party, including Oscar Bowman and several others, discovered the barrel of a shotgun in the bayou of the Cedar near Morehouse Place last Saturday, the muzzle of the gun barely sticking out of the water. On further investigation, the gun stock, a gun case and grip, the latter containing wearing apparel, loading tools, powder and powder can, and empty shells were dragged out of the water. There are two theories as to the presence of the articles at this place. One is as follows. Early this spring, Tom Mattis and a party of hunters from Cedar Rapids upset their boat and lost their gun and oil stove, and though they returned to search, they could find naught but the stove. The weapon lost by this party, however, was a pump gun, differing widely from the one found. Another theory is that the hunting paraphernalia, clothing, etc., is the property of Wes Listener, who is said to have been missing for two months. He was seen last in Solon, so the story goes, on the night of the fireman's dance, April 18th. The following morning, he left Joseph Smutney's, where he had been boarding, taking his gun and grip with him. He was going to Joseph Zeneshek's, for whom he was to work. He never put in his appearance there, and Mr. Smutney positively identifies the gun, an L.C. Smith, the exact pattern and make as listeners, and also the crimper, gun case, and clothing as Wes listeners. Frank Steinbrack is also firm in the belief that it is listeners' stuff. A collar found among the clothing, however, bears the initials W.S. very plainly, and not W.L., as was persistently claimed. On the other hand, the story is much mooted, and it is claimed that Listener was seen the morning following the fireman's dance, heading for the depot, where he hit the blind for Cedar Rapids. It was well known that he was a restless spirit and was accustomed to starting out on an impulse without giving his friends notice. A Cedar Rapids livery man for whom Listener once worked claims to have seen him six weeks ago and that he said he was going to New York and thence to South America. Listener requested the livery man to inform his friends. A searching party of a score or more from Solon and the country thoroughly dragged and probed the bayou and searched the vicinity yesterday afternoon and found nothing. Whether he still lies hid in the mud of the pond or among the willow bush of the river or has been carried by the current miles or hundreds of miles south or lies buried in the sand of the vicinity as the result of murder or whether he is placidly tramping the streets of New York or has shipped on a tramp for South America 
can only be conjectured, but if he is living, the insolvable question remains, why did he throw his gun and clothes away? SUI Commencement Wednesday forenoon, June 15, was not at all auspicious as the clouds hung on and the rain fell gently about all forenoon and until the exercises at the tent were over. The writer could not be present at the tent, but found time to attend the reception in the main building. From the reading of Honorary George D. Perkins' annual address and from reports of those who heard it, we conclude it was up to the average of such addresses, but took more time than should be given to such an address, such as is usually the case. The attendance of alumni and alumnae from abroad was not as large as it has been at other commencements, but was fairly representative of the large body that is scattered over the whole country and even to the Earth's limits. Notwithstanding all the demonstrations that has been going on over the president of the university for the last six months, a very small number of the alumni had the courage of their convictions to come up and face the Board of Regents with charges that have been matter of newspaper report. When such dissatisfaction has been expressed, there should have been specific grounds and clear statement laid before the Regents. We shall not be surprised if the whole storm blows over without any action and possibly a calm will follow this tempest in a teapot. It may be a warning to all parties to attend more closely hereafter to their several duties. The above was written for last week's issue before the decision of the Board of Regents was made known. It was crowded out for want of space in our local columns. The decision of the Board of Regents to make scapegoats of a couple of the professors has not changed the facts, nor is it likely to smooth over the difficulties that have sprung up. Possibly these events may lead to a better and simpler plan of government of the university in the near future. What the new order may be under the present Board of Regents remains to be seen. The present plan of electing the Regents by the legislature and the number of Regents has its disadvantage. A board of regents consisting of three members elected by the people of the state, as all state officers are, would be better than the present board of regents elected by the legislator and having 11 members. We should prefer a board of three regents elected by the people rather than either a board of control or a larger board chosen by the legislature. Two men rob a train Northern Pacific Limited is held up in Montana. Thursday night, two masked men held up the North Coast Limited Northern Pacific passenger train eastbound, about a mile and a half east of Bearmouth, Montana. The train is the finest on the road. After bringing the train to a stop, they used dynamite on the express car, blew open the safe, and secured all of its contents. The amount secured is not known, but is reported to be large. After blowing out the rear lights of the train, the two men disappeared and have not been seen since. The holdup was familiar to the one which occurred two years ago in nearly the same spot, and in which engineer O'Neill lost his life. The robbers boarded the tender of the engine at the water tank at Bearmouth, and, after keeping quiet until the train, had gone a mile and a half. They crawled up over the coal and covered Engineer Wade and Fireman Reed with their revolvers and told them to throw up their hands. 
Engineer Wade was then commanded to bring his train to a standstill, and he immediately complied. The engineer and fireman were ordered from their engine, and with the holdups went back to the express car. Before making an effort to gain an entrance, they forced the engineer to light a cigar. The express messenger was commanded to open the door, but he refused. The engineer was next commanded to light a stick of dynamite, of which explosive they had a large quantity, and placed the lighted stick against the door. He obeyed, and the force of the explosion wrecked the door, and the engineer and fireman were compelled to precede the robbers into the car. When admission was gained, the bandits directed their attention to the strong box. Five sticks of dynamite were placed on top of the safe and ignited, but the force of the charge was insignificant, and another and larger cap was used. The second charge exploded with terrific force, blowing out the side of the car and throwing the safe a distance of 40 feet. After rifling the safe of its valuables, the robbers passed to the rear of the train and, after putting out the lights, disappeared in the darkness. Meanwhile, the passengers were terror-stricken and had crawled to every place which afforded a hiding. Must Label Oleo in Iowa the Iowa Supreme Court has affirmed a decision of the lower court prohibiting the sale of colored oleomargarine unless it is labeled. The Armour Packing Company contended that their oleomargarine was made the color of butter through natural processes in its manufacture. The court holds that it is a violation of the state law to sell any color and kind of oleomargarine without the label. From the World's Fair, Keokuk, Iowa, June 20th, 1904. Editor Economy, thinking that the people of Solon and vicinity would welcome news from the World's Fair, I will endeavor to sketch it as I saw it in the few days spent there. The World's Fair grounds are situated about five miles from the Union Depot, a ride of 35 minutes on the streetcar. Arriving at the CE Hotel, which is just without the grounds, we secured rooms and were soon gazing at the greatest of all expositions. Entering the west wing of the fine art building, we found over 70 large rooms filled with the most beautiful paintings known to man. But we must hasten. The terraces of the States and Festival Hall overlook the Cascades, the greatest feat of modern architecture. Beyond are the Grand Basins and the lagoons surrounding two great buildings, namely electricity and machinery, education and social economy. There are many buildings of peculiar interest, namely forestry, fish and game, varied industries, transportation, liberal arts, manufacturers, U.S. government, agriculture, and many more which I might name, but enough. The agricultural building covers 23 acres and is one-fourth mile in length. Besides these are state buildings of which I will mention but one Iowa. June 17, as you all know, was Iowa Day. The building is not the largest, but seemed to me the most unique in design and furnishings, possibly because I'm from Iowa. Among the speakers was our governor and President Francis, who paid glowing tributes to old Iowa. While listening to Iowa sung as a solo and then America sung by all, 
There awoke a new spirit of loyalty for my native state never to be forgotten. Now, as to the pike, there are plenty of shows. To attend all would cost $46, I'm told. But by far the greatest scene is the illumination. Over 350,000 electric lights are used in making it the most beautiful sight of which man can dream. It is indescribable and can be appreciated only by seeing it. But there is another part of which possibly you wish to hear, expense. Good rooms can be secured from $1 to $2 per person per day, it being understood to occupying the room. But within the grounds, prices are high. Beef steak and iced tea, 15 and 20 cents, etc. So I carried or brought my lunch, as did many others from outside the grounds. You can make your expenses what you will. I consider it well worth the expense. At the side of labor unions, farmers will march in a great Texas Labor Day parade. In Fort Worth, Texas, on next Labor Day, members of 28 farmers unions will march in the Labor Day parade side by side with the members of the trade unions. Speaking of this cooperation of the farmers unions with the trade unions, State Secretary C.W. Woodman of the American Federation of Labor declared it the most significant in the history of the labor movement in the Southwest. Going hand in hand, the producers and the workers, says he, will be able to fight the trusts at both ends commercially, while with the added support of the 90,000 farmers organized in the state, we attain a greater political influence and strength. We do not mix partisan politics with unions, but we do go into politics to the extent that we do not vote for a man who makes our interests subservient to those of the trusts. At the formation of the county organization for this county, it was unanimously decided by the farmers to establish a system of fraternal delegates with our central body in order that both organizations may keep thoroughly in touch with each other. Realizing that our interests are identical in opposition to the abnormal growth of the trusts, we intend to see that the fraternal delegates keep us thoroughly acquainted with one another's needs and with our combined strength, we will enter upon a new era of progress. Some plan of cooperation between the state bodies is expected to be adopted at the coming meeting of the Farmers State Convention, which will meet in Fort Worth, August 1st. Thank you.